Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. As we find our way back to our seats, let's take our Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 52 this morning. Isaiah chapter 52. And over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look in depth at Isaiah 52 and 53 as we look at these messianic passages. Isaiah is one of the most quoted books throughout the entire Bible. Uh, Isaiah 52 starts what is called the fourth song in the book of Isaiah. It's the final one. It's called the servant song, and uh, it describes the suffering servant. And uh, so I want to read the passage together that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at verses uh, chapter 52 and verse 12, all the way down through 53 and verse 3. And I've entitled my message this morning, The Suffering Servant or the Rejected Jesus. So the suffering servant or the rejection of Jesus. And um, Jesus was not a figure that when he came in the world, that the world was really seeking. Many times at Christmas, when we get together as Christians, we're all thinking, oh, the whole world was looking forward to this guy coming. The reality is most people weren't. The reality is he, he, he really was nothing spectacular to look at. Many people, when they saw Jesus, treated him like everybody else. He had no form or comeliness. We know that uh, he was despised. He was rejected of people. So let's look and see what Isaiah has to say about Jesus in regard to this. Verse 12 says this, For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight, or in fight, flight for the Lord will go before you, and God, the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now I picked up the narrative here because normally uh, we start at verse 13. But verse 12 is the promise on which verse 13 is built upon. So God says this, I'm going to protect you, Israel. I'm going to fight for you, Israel. I'm going to be your rear guard. What is a rear guard? Protection from being attacked from where? From behind. So I've got your back, God says to Israel. So now it says, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond, beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now that sounds like the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, doesn't it? That sounds like a mighty king who's coming to take over the world and, and, and the, the, the person that every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord, right? Not really. But this is exactly who Jesus was. Jesus today would not be a rock star. Jesus today would not be a superstar. 
Jesus today would be an ordinary person doing extraordinary things if he were in flesh today among us. And I want us to understand that as we go into the Christmas story, I want us to think about what Jesus gave up when he came to earth. Isaiah is going to tell us what Jesus gave up when he left home and came to earth. And then we're going to ask the question, what are we willing to give up for Jesus? If he gave up what he gave up, then what are we willing this Christmas season to give up for him? What are we willing to do for him? Have you ever noticed that as we get close to Christmas, um, people start giving away big things? You know, HGTV every year gives away what? A house for Christmas. Could you imagine winning a house? You'd have to sell said house to pay the taxes, but, you know, they give away a house. Oprah always gives away what? A car, right? She's always giving away a car. She's always giving away something of great value. And if you watch the people that receive these gifts, how do they respond? They're they're just flabbergasted. They're floored. They're they're beside themselves. Some of them cry. Some of them fall down. Some of them stand there. Some of them just hide their face. But there is a sign of exuberant joy that comes from every one of them because, hey, who doesn't like to get free stuff, right? Right? Problem is, free isn't free, is it? And you know what? Salvation is a free gift, isn't it? But it still had a cost. It still had a cost. And what we're going to look at is Jesus as the suffering servant. And the first thing I want to notice is this, the identity of the servant. Because Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 12 is the fourth and final servant song in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has been building up Jesus Christ throughout the book. And this is the culmination of the songs that were sung for the suffering servant who was to come. Who's the suffering servant in the passage? Well, if you were to ask a Jew today, they would tell you the suffering servant is Israel. But if you read the text in context today, it becomes very clear who the suffering servant really is. It's not the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, will confirm that for us. The New Testament. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm not going to give you a whole lot of points and a whole lot of background. I'm going to give you a whole lot of scripture. Okay. We're going to give you a scripture because scripture is better than opinion anyway. Um, So let's look at what the Bible has to say about who the suffering servant is, because I'm going to, I'm going to offer to you the suffering servant is Jesus Christ. And let's prove it together. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus himself said this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to what? Why are you here this morning? To be served or to serve? What are you gonna do this this week for Jesus? Serve or be served? If we're gonna be like Jesus Christ, we gotta be serving other people. So the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 22, verse 37 goes a little more in depth. It says, for I tell you this, that scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. Well, where was it written that he'd be numbered with the transgressors? What book? Isaiah. The book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Look what Acts has to say about this. Acts chapter 8, verse 32 to 35. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was like this, like a sheep. He was led to the slaughter like a lamb before the shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does this prophet say this is? About himself or somebody else? Is it himself? Is it Jesus? Or is it Israel? Is it, is it Judaism? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told the good news about who? Jesus. So the New Testament clearly tells us the interpretation of Isaiah chapter 52 and verse, uh, through 53 verse 12. Peter goes on to add more to this. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have what? Where'd that verse come from? That's Isaiah. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Well, who is the shepherd, capital S, and overseer, capital O, of your souls? Jesus Christ. John has something to say about this too. John chapter 12, verses 36 to 41. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many, so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet who? might be fulfilled. The Lord who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Therefore they could not believe. For again, who said this? Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. What does and turn mean? Repent. So here we see the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly seen in the book of Isaiah and the New Testament writers are quoting Isaiah to bring the fulfillment of that prophecy forward. The Holy Spirit is using scripture to find scripture. So now let's jump down then. Um, let's, let's jump down then and uh, look at verse chapter 53 and verse one of Isaiah. It says this, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been what? We just saw that, didn't we? John 12, verse 38 says this, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The Lord has believed what he's heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been? Word for word. Word for word. From Isaiah to John. So let's talk about this suffering servant. Now that we've established beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're not talking about Israel. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about Jesus Christ who is going to be coming one day in the form of a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes in a town called Bethlehem. How do we know all that? The Old Testament told us that. We know all that from the Old Testament. So as we move forward here, I want us to see a couple things about our Savior. Number, number two, he's a shocking Savior. Not only is he the suffering servant, but he is a shocking Savior. How many of you like to go home for Christmas? Right? How many songs talk about that? You ever think about that at Christmas time? I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. 
Please have snow and mistletoe, right? Presents under the tree. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays because no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways for the holidays, you can't beat what? Where was Jesus on Christmas? He wasn't home. Matter of fact, Christmas Day, he left home. He left the home where he spent eternity past. He left that home for you and me. He left that home to suffer for you and me. He left that home to be cut off from his father, which had never happened in all of eternity, and he did that for you and me. So as we get into the holiday season, so many things that the holidays are for some of us are not really biblically based. We don't go home for the holidays. Jesus left his home to create a holiday for us. The Christmas story of Jesus isn't about going home. It's about leaving home. Jesus traded his throne in heaven for a manger in Bethlehem. He exchanged the praise of angels for the mocking of enemies. He gave up the glory of heaven for the humiliation of a cross. I don't know about you, but none of those are good exchanges for Jesus. None of those are good exchanges in a selfish, self-absorbed way. But aren't you glad Jesus wasn't self-absorbed? Aren't you glad that he's different than you and I? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't have, I'm glad the Bible doesn't say, let this mind be in Jesus that was also in you. No, what's it say? Let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus Christ. Because if, if Jesus thought like us today, how different would the holidays be? How different would everyday life look? So the suffering servant is shocking in two ways. His exaltation is shocking. Let's look at Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be what? See, it's not hard to get points for sermons. They're right there. He'll be exalted. What does the word exalt mean? Well, there's three other verses in Isaiah where God is described as being high and lifted up. Let me give them to you. The first one's found in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, what? High and lifted up. The next one's in verse 33, or chapter 33 and verse 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. I find that an interesting verse. Who else in the Bible lifted themselves up? Only Jesus. Jesus is the only one that lifted himself up. And then it says in verse, chapter 57, verse 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Every time we read that phrase, lifted up, it's always in reference to one person. The person of Jesus Christ. He is highly exalted above all. So the suffering servant, Jesus, is God, high and lifted up, who becomes a man. By the way, if we were to run to John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word, God and the Word are the same in that one. Just go to the Greek for it. Verse 14 tells us who the Word is. The Word is Jesus Christ. Isaiah goes on further to talk about how he was disfigured and how the disfigurement is shocking. 
uh, Isaiah 52, verses 14 and 15. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and the form beyond that of the children of mankind. You know what that verse actually says about Jesus on the cross? He didn't even look human. They had beaten him so badly. He was so bruised. He was so injured, so marred. He didn't even look human. Then he goes on to say, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told, not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. You know what that tells us? That the kings of the earth are going to find out who Jesus Christ is. Even though they never saw him or never heard him, they're going to know who Jesus Christ is. Aren't you glad today that Jesus Christ is known all over the world? Prophecy fulfilled. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, I was quoting it earlier, talks about how Jesus humbled himself by becoming a servant. He was willing to die on a cross. But after his humiliation, he was exalted. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? But you know, Jesus wasn't just rejected. He was also a disappointing savior. He was also a disappointment to many. Listen to what Isaiah 52 and verse 10 says, For the Lord has barred his holy arm from the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The arm of the Lord is the power of God in action. If we were to go to Isaiah 50 and verse 2, Isaiah 51, verse 5, Isaiah 51, verse 9, we would see over and over again that the arms of the Lord is power. Israel failed to recognize the arm of the Lord when it was revealed to them over and over again. They didn't see it. Israel didn't believe that salvation could be accomplished by a suffering servant. They believed that he would be what? King of kings, highly exalted, this leader of leaders. So because of that, he was unexpected. Nobody was looking for him. Nobody was looking for him when he came on the scene. Matter of fact, if you think about it, every group that went and saw Jesus at his birth had to be told he was there, except for one. They were told a different way. They discovered the star in the sky and they began to pursue, right? They began to look for him. He was unexpected. There wasn't really anybody looking for Jesus when he came. Who has believed what they have heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53 Verse one, Israel was expecting a glorious king, a mighty warrior, a deliverer from the, the oppression of Rome. That's who they were wanting. Instead, what did they hear? Well, Luke 2 captures it for us quite clear. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What is, I think this is one of the understatements of the Bible. What, how would the shepherds have described what happened to them on the hillside? Do you think they would have walked into town and been like, yo, yo, we were out watching our sheep and like the sky was full of these beings and they sang a song and told us the Savior was born. Come in town and see where he lays. Do you think that's how they, they, if you had that experience, is that how you would describe it? I don't think so. I think these guys went in and when they told people what they had seen and what they had heard, you know what the people thought? What a bunch of freaks. What a bunch of idiots. These guys are, they've been out so long by themselves, they're hallucinating now. 
These guys are out of their minds. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. What did Mary know the others didn't? Jesus was coming. Mary knew what the others didn't. And because of that knowledge, it gave her insight into why Jesus was expected. She knew he was coming. Everybody else didn't know. He was unexpected. And then when they heard the story that he was coming, they they weren't very impressed. Which leads me to the next. He was very unimpressive. Jesus was very unimpressive. Isaiah 53, verse 2, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a tender root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. I have these oak trees in my backyard, and every fall they drop these acorns, and then every spring I get these little tiny oak trees, right? All these little oak trees start springing up in my backyard, and never have I like got down on the ground and been like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you know what I do? I get on my lawnmower, whack them all down. Why? They're unimpressive. Besides, I don't have a hundred years to wait for it to grow up, right? No form, no majesty, no beauty, just ordinary. Just ordinary. The people in the Nazareth said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Isn't this a guy we all grew up around? Isn't this a guy who has a mom and a dad? How can he now say that he came down from heaven? Well, what didn't they understand? They didn't understand how he was born, how he's conceived. They didn't understand who he is. They don't understand his line and lineage and how he's from David and how he's a king of kings and and how he's the Lord of lords and how he doesn't have a sin nature because he was born of a virgin and and all these things they they don't understand. He's, He's an unimpressive I think the average person walked by Jesus and saw another person. I don't think they walked by and was like, wow, I just walked by God. That's not what happened. We see many people stood in the presence of Jesus and did not declare him to be God. Did not think he was anything special. Did not think he was anything great. I think that's part of the appeal. God doesn't need flash. He doesn't need show. He doesn't need big and grandeur and and all these things. You know what? One day that's going to happen, isn't it? When Jesus sets his throne down in Jerusalem, in the new Jerusalem, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be a show. Because who's going to be the center of attention? Jesus Christ. Sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning with us. But somehow I still don't think he's going to be the center of attention. While he will be, I think he's still going to deflect his glory to who? God the Father. Because who sent the Son to be the Savior of the world? Not only was he unimpressive, but he was unwanted. Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The word despised means they dismissed him. You say that you're God, no. You're from Joseph and Mary. We know who you are. They hid their faces. You know what that means? You ever walk into a room and you see somebody you don't want to pay attention to or you don't want to interact with, so you do this? Right? They turned away. They hid their faces. They avoided him. 
They avoided him. They esteemed him not. They gave him no value, no audience. I think there are two great contrasts in this passage. The contrast between the suffering servant and his exaltation. And then the second contrast between people's perception of Jesus and his true identity. Can you imagine walking up and dissing the God of the universe? Could you imagine walking up to the God of the universe and spitting in his face? Could you imagine walking up to the creator of the universe and telling the creator that he's the worst creation ever created? The irony, the the juxtaposition that's going on when Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth is, is so dumbfounding throughout the Bible that you really got to study it. You really got to look into it and say, wow, Jesus did all this for what end? For what end? Why would he do what he did? In the first part of the servant song, we're shocked at the depths to which the Savior falls. But by the end, we will be overcome with the gratitude that his sufferings were for us. This, the, the passage gives us the end. The passage tells us why. He goes on to say, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. By the way, that smitten by God's important, isn't it? For God loved the world so much that he did what? Gave who? Who gave? So it tells us right here that he was smitten by God. You didn't smite Jesus Christ. God did. You didn't kill Jesus Christ. God did. Your sin didn't kill Jesus Christ. God did. God sacrificed his lamb on the altar so that you could have forgiveness of sin. Think about that. This is a story of redemption. It's not about you and I. You and I are simply the recipients, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved me. I didn't have nothing in this. This is the beauty. Why? What motivated Jesus to come to earth? Was it our sin? No. It was the Father's will. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be, whose will be done? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is Christmas a season of giving? Well, it's a season of giving because it's the giving of God to man. The greatest possession he could ever have. God gave every one of us life. That's a gift. But the greatest gift that he could give us was a gift of the presence of his son. The presence of his son on earth who would die on a cross, who would be despised by men. He'd be stricken, he'd be beaten, he'd be afflicted. Verse five says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds, we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. 
but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I love what Acts 20 and verse 35 says. In all things, I have shown you that by the working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What did Jesus give up when he left heaven and came to earth? He left everything. He left security. He left glory. He left everything of heaven behind. He left home to come to this planet, to come to this creation, to live like you and I, to be like you and I, but for one purpose, to glorify the Father by dying on a cross for the sins of mankind so that what was torn apart in the garden would be restored in the second Adam. What was lost in the first Adam would be regained in the second Adam. So then the question is this this morning, what are we willing to give up for God and to give up for others? May we during this season do things for the glory of God and for the good of others. For the glory of God and the good of others. That's the, that's the name of the series. For the glory of God and the good of others. In this Christmas, if we were to take this phrase and we were to live it out, what would we be doing for the glory of God and how is it good for others? And I think by taking this phrase into Christmas season with us, it's gonna help us to see that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He left heaven for the glory of God and he did something for the good of others. What did he do for the good of others? Well, everything. He did everything. He did what we could not do for ourselves. He saved us from our sin so that we can inhabit heaven for all of eternity. What did he do for the glory of God? He left heaven. He left heaven and came to this despicable planet marred by sin so that he could redeem his people and he could bring glory to God. A year and a half ago, we preached an entire sermon series on the glory of God and how God loves his glory more than anything else. Anything else. God loves his glory. And we are just mirrors reflecting the glory of God back to him. How clean is our mirror? As we go into this Christmas holiday, there's going to be lots of opportunities to do stuff for ourselves. But the question is, how are we going to glorify God and what are we going to do for the good of others? How are we going to glorify God and do good for others? And Jesus Christ and Isaiah 52 and 53 are going to answer this equation for us. How do we do things for the glory of God and for the good of others? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Isaiah 52 and 53 is what the Ethiopian eunuch read when he said, what, <laughs> I believe, what more do I need to be baptized? If you've never been introduced to who Jesus Christ is, this passage of scripture will illuminate it for you. Then take this, go to John, go to Romans, go, go to any of those, First John, and you'll find out exactly who Jesus Christ is and what he wants. He wants a relationship with every one of us to the glory of God and for the good of others. Christians, if we're here and we're listening to the message, what are we gonna do? What are we willing to give up? Are we willing to give up our pride? Are we willing to give up our self-centeredness? Are we willing to give up the things holding us back spiritually from sharing the gospel with others this Christmas season? Because Satan would love nothing better 
than for you not to glorify God and for you to do everything for yourself. That's Satan's mantra. But Jesus is different. For the glory of God and for the good of others. What are you going to do this Christmas season? How, starting now, this is, the, this is the starting point. Everywhere you go, Christmas music's going to be playing, Christmas trees and lights and all that stuff going to be everywhere. So from this point on, what are you going to do for the next four weeks for the glory of God and for the good of others? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the study we're able to have today. I pray, Lord, that as we go through this passage of Scripture together, that, Father, we would see the importance of doing things for your glory and how when we do things for your glory, it benefits other people around us. So, Father, help us to glorify you. Help us to do all for the glory of God. Whether we're eating or drinking or whatever we're doing, may we do it for your glory, as 1 Corinthians 10, 31 challenges us to do. So, Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge today. I pray, Father, that we'll take this simple little phrase and take it with us out into the world this Christmas season. And, Lord, may we give testimony of the great things that you have done because we glorified you with our bodies and it benefited others because we did that. In your name we pray. All God's people said.